visit the Ford Fan Zone on Level 6 at the next Utah Jazz game where there are free pop shot games, cornhole, and foosball tables. Enjoy incredible city and mountain views while relaxing, enjoying food and drink, taking in the game, and socializing with friends. DJ PK, it is time right now to welcome back Ken Pomeroy to the show, KenPom.com. He's got his mathematical formula to rank college basketball teams, and he's done it so well. The NCAA Tournament Selection Committee likes to take a peek at his numbers as they see teams into the NCAA Tournament. Ken, welcome back to the show. Good morning, gentlemen. Thanks for having me on. I always love to chat. Do you know that he has his own Wikipedia, Ken Palm? DJ? I do. I do know that. so freaking huge, it's beyond belief. You know what's wild is like that page has not been updated in about mm, ten or twelve years, probably about ten years. No, what, what do you want on it? <laughs> well, I, uh, I, don't, <laughs> I don't need anything on it, but I think <laughs> some of the some of the information may not be entirely accurate. Is all I'm saying. Well, update the picture so when you're outside the door, I recognize you. You didn't recognize him outside the door? You don't remember that story? I was walking out one day, and he wasn't going in through security, or he's at door nine or whatever, and I didn't know he was coming. He's on somebody else's show. And were you there with your bike? Did you bike over? I was. Yeah, yeah. I was there. So you were there with your bike, and it's like, hey, how do I get in? I didn't know who he's there. And at that point, I think I'd, I think I'd met you once or twice. So you blew him off? I, like, I couldn't let him into the arena, not knowing who he was. He's Ken Palm. I didn't know that in that moment. Why yeah. didn't you ask me? <laughs> you weren't there. I've sh- I've broke bread with the guy. I have not. <laughs> Much to his relief, because nobody wants to watch me eat. Yuck. It's full contact sport. Usually a couple offensive fouls committed there. All right, Ken, so we were intrigued to have you on for multiple reasons, but one of them was BYU drops two games on the road. It's the kind of thing that's knocked them out of the tournament before. Now, they're pretty far into the tournament, and they still have USF at home, and they got a road game at St. Mary's, and I suppose they could mess up another game against the bottom half of the league. they got to play, I think, Loyal and Pepperdine a couple times down the stretch. How solid are they in the tournament? Where do you see them being seated right now? What do you think? I think they're still pretty. They're in pretty good shape. You know, you, you break down the schedule the rest of the way, and they have seven games on the schedule. They could conceivably, I guess, they're still at Portland games that got canceled earlier in the year. They're still technically listed as postponed. They could end up playing. I, I'm not sure they're going to play that. But, but with the seven games left on the schedule, you know, there's two like improbable wins. We'll say, you know, obviously they have Gonzaga on the Saturday, and uh, they have at St. Mary's in a couple weeks. Yeah, you just assume those are two losses. You know, the other five games are, are all winnable. If they won all five of those games, they'd be easily in. Even so, you know, San, San Francisco, they're playing this Thursday. You know, another kind of fellow tournament team, theoretically. Um, you know, assuming they take care of business there, and then assuming they take care of business a week from Thursday at Loyola Marymount. The other three games on the schedule are, you know, virtual automatic wins. Obviously, after losing to Pacific, you, you're a little scared to say that, but uh, assuming they, you know, just win one of those two kind of tough games that they're going to be favored in San Francisco and Loyola Marymount, I still think they're in great shape. The non-conference resume looks very good, and they've actually been done a bunch of favors by just about virtually every team they played in non-conference, probably besides the Utes. So, you know, like Oregon is coming on strong. San Diego State is playing well right now. Utah State has come to life. 
Um, you know, even Weber State is obviously playing well in the Big Sky, and that's not going to you know wow anybody from a resume standpoint. But it's you know a sneaky decent win at this point. So they're coming together, and I, I still think they're. I would not panic. You know, they take care of business down the stretch. They're going to be pretty safely in in terms of a you know seven eight nine seed. I'd say based on the non conference resume, I, I think they're going to be fine. So I was going to ask you their departure, which is after next season. How much you think it would hurt? the West Coast Conference as far as seeding purposes, particularly from Gonzaga, which is always shooting for a one seed. But then I thought maybe the better question is, is it a big deal when when the bracket comes out to be seeded like a one versus a two? Uh, a two versus a three, you know. I guess maybe a, you know two versus a seven or eight. I get that, but I'm just talking about one line. How big of a deal do you think that is? It is not a big deal at all. Like people make such such a huge stink about you know teams that get misseeded by a line or two, you know, when the bracket comes out. And where it really matters is you know going from like three to five or something, you know. It's, you go from facing kind of a, an auto bid team from a, a lesser conference if you're a three to a, you know, a team that's almost your equal if you're playing that five twelve game. We know, you know, the history of the five twelve game and how often the twelve team wins. So, um, so that's you know, it, it makes a difference in, in those you know first round games from that standpoint. But going from one to two makes almost no difference. I mean, I've I've looked at this in the past, and you know, a team like Gonzaga when you're when you're seeded one or two, you're not thinking really about the first round. You're thinking about winning it all pretty much that should be your goal and yeah. it, you know whether you're one or two does not affect your chances of winning a title hardly at all what really affects your chances is who else is in your region and um then ultimately you know bracket luck plays a lot of role a big role as well you know are the two or three or four seeds advancing to face you in later rounds or are they getting upset you know like houston last year you know they get to a final four and they didn't really you know, they didn't really have to be challenged pretty much most of that tournament. They were a very good team, but they also got some nice breaks in terms of just having their uh, path to the Final Four uh, become uh, much easier than you might have expected. Ken Pomeroy joining us from KenPom.com. Have you run numbers on the Big 12 to see what they are right now versus what they would be with a couple of teams gone and four more arriving? I have. I have done that. I did that, yeah, in the off season when the official announcement was made. And, you know, the thing about college basketball is it is, at least over the past, you know, seven, eight years, conference-wise, you know, we talk about the power leagues, you know, and college basketball. You have six, really, with the Big East. So, power six in college basketball. And, um, you know, people talk about the power leagues as some sort of monolith, but, but they're not. Like, there's, there have clearly been two leagues that have – uh, separated themselves in, in recent history, and that is uh, the Big 12 and the Big 10. Um, Big 12 generally has been the best conference in college basketball over that time, and they have asserted themselves again this season to really being obviously the best conference in college basketball this year. Um, so, you know, the start, you're starting from that standpoint. This is clearly the best league year in, year out, or maybe the second best in some years. Um, and so when you remove Texas and Oklahoma and you add the four newcomers, you know, the conference – takes a, a step back, but they're like so far ahead of, you know, 30, 30 other leagues basically um, that, you know, they're still going to be very good. In fact, if you, if you 
put those four new teams in, if you just use the, the future conference composition and applied it retroactively and looked at it the past six, seven years, um, it actually still would have averaged out as the best conference in college basketball. So the future is, is very strong, you know, with the caveats that you, know, you assume Kansas is going to be great whenever Bill Self retires, the Hank decides to retire. Um, you assume that Baylor and Texas Tech, who, you know, 10, 15 years ago were not fairly strong programs. Uh, you assume that they continue to be, you know, in the case of Baylor, a top five, top 10 program year in, year out. In the case of Texas Tech, a top 15, top 20 program year in, year out. If you, if you get those wishes, if you get Cincinnati, you know, kind of recovering to a, um, a level they had, you know, 15, 20 years ago, then, uh, then you're still going to have a, a very, very strong league, which obviously is, is going to help BYU from an at-large standpoint tremendously. I have a Wooden Award vote, Kenny Palm, and so this time of year they just sent me a thing with the uh, latest uh, guys that uh, should be considered that are going to be on the ballot. Uh, I don't know how much you focus on individuals, but uh, you know I look at their stats and all that, try to watch them individually as opposed to watching the teams because that's what my vote is decided upon. It's an individual award. Uh, do you have any leading candidates? Well, uh, you know, I do have a, kind of an automated version of the Player of the Year Award, and right now the leader in that is Oscar Seaway of Kentucky, who has um, primarily uh, made news for his just incredible rebounding ability. Um, you know, people focus on, on rebounds per game, and, and he, you know, is regularly in double digits and irregularly getting over 20 rebounds a game, which is phenomenal. But even when you break it down, as I do, by offensive and defensive rebounding, he actually leads the country in terms of offensive rebounding percentage and defensive rebounding percentage. So he's grabbing by himself 20% of his own team's misses, which I really should uh, calculate where that ranks among teams because there are definitely teams that do not grab 20% of their own misses. Uh, in fact, the average team uh, has an offensive rebounding percentage of around 28% nationally. So he's like by himself a, you know, a competent offensive rebounding team on his own. And then defensively, he's grabbing 36% of opponents' misses. So, um, so he's you know, a pretty skilled offensive player as well, but, uh, but where he's just wrecking people is on the boards. And then, you know, he's also kind of a menace defensively as well. He, you know, gets a few block shots, gets his hands on balls. He just does a lot of different things. And with Kentucky coming on strong now, they're up to number two in my ratings this morning, which is a, a season high. Uh, you know, this is a, a team that's going to make some noise nationally. Not like it's hard for Kentucky to do that, but they really do have the, the quality of team right now that is deserving of maybe more accolades than they're getting. So um, so I think I think she weighs the choice right now. And there's not really, you know, people have talked about Ochai Baji at, at Kansas and maybe being a, a contender. Kansas is, I think, quite a bit overrated at this point. But um, there's some other other players in the Big Ten that have, have made their name, but um, I think Sheboy is kind of distinguishing himself at this point. Okay. Ken Pomeroy joining us, KenPom.com. I read a story, and this goes with what you said about the, the Big 12 and the Big Ten pulling away. I know there was a time when the ACC and the Big East were the big brand names, but that's not how it's been the last few years. This story said that seven of the top ten players were in the Big Ten. You buying that? extent i mean you know the, the issue is um the issue is there you know once you again once you get past Shibway, i think is like kind of separating himself 
you know, they're, nobody else is really separating themselves. So, there, you know, there are, you can certainly, especially if you're, you know, working in the, the Big Ten uh, commissioner's office, there's certainly uh, seven people you can find that are, like, plausibly, like, first or second team All-American. Um, you know, the emergence of uh, somebody like Johnny Davis at Wisconsin, who really just came out of nowhere this year. Um, you know, he's had a terrific year uh, as a winning for them. Keegan Murray at Iowa has been outstanding. Um, he's a Liddell at Ohio State is another guy who early in the season was really putting up huge numbers and still putting up decent numbers. Um, the problem is really none of those teams have necessarily, you know, distinguished themselves nationally. And so that puts a little bit of a lid on, you know, where they might deserve to be placed in terms of all American teams. But, um, yeah, certainly, certainly from an individual standpoint, I think uh, the Big Ten has, has had the, the best collection of, uh, I guess, individual players from a a stat standpoint so far this season. How much do you factor in competition? Because you look at Utah Valley's Amick, you know, he's 19-1 and 13-6. I mean, 13-6 isn't uh, 15 as Oscar is, but uh, he's obviously a big-time double-double machine. Yeah, I mean, clearly you have to factor in, you know, competition. I mean, Amick's an outstanding player, and if you're just like a – college hoops fan, you know, looking to catch a game the rest of the season, I would thoroughly recommend checking out UVU because, uh, you know, they're having a pretty solid year in the WAC and, uh, the newly expanded WAC has some, you know, decent teams now. And, uh, and AMAC's really a special player in terms of what he can do rebounding wise. He's kind of expanded his game a little bit in terms of being able to take some perimeter shots as well. But, um, but yeah, I don't think he's like a viable, you know, all-American candidate. He's only a viable like whack player of the year type of guy. But he, you know, ultimately, you just don't see guys from from you know the likes of Utah Valley making all-American teams unless they're you know going twenty-five and two or something, and you got a yeah, you know, a John Moran situation or something like that. Ken Pomeroy joining us from KenPom.com. Uh, PK and I were discussing NCAA tournament bids, and he was saying the West Coast Conference. When have they been a four-bid league? And you've got uh, USF at 38 as the fourth-best team in the conference. I'm curious how you see NCAA bids distributed, at least among the, the Western conferences that the people here are likely to follow. Right, yeah. I mean, uh, that's... I've been a kind of a skeptic. There's been a, you know, the narrative really since the first, you know, maybe second or third week of the year that the WCC could be a, a four bid league. And, you know, early it, uh, obviously Gonzaga is there and early it looked like BYU was a lock and I think they're still in great shape. And then it was like, you know, St. Mary's and, and USF, did they get in? And it's just, it's, it's tough. Like it always looks great early in the season, but then once you get into conference play, obviously it gets tough when these teams start playing each other. And usually one team ends up on the wrong side of those decisions and, and drops out. But, you know, so far San Francisco is hanging in there. St. Mary's is, is really playing great. I mean, if, you know, they're probably the second best team in the league right now. I mean, BYU obviously with that loss specific, you have to drop them a little bit, but, um, but San Francisco is hanging in there and, um, they still have a, a great chance of, um, you know, sneaking into the tournament. And um, in part, that's due because of, you know, what they did in non-conference play. Um, largely, you know, not embarrassing themselves. They have a nice win over over Davidson and UAB um, and Fresno State. You know, those are not household names, but they're good teams. And um, and obviously the loss to Loyola Chicago out here didn't hurt them really that much. Loyola Chicago should be a safe at-large team. 
Um, but right now, San Francisco four and three in conference. So you know they're going to have to to beat you know one of the big boys, you know maybe once, maybe twice, and avoid those bad losses the rest of the way. Um, but they can do it, and they can still get in in large part because um, the Pac-12 has sort of you know vacated the premises. I mean they have obviously Arizona and UCLA and USC, and those three teams are going to be in the tournament, but. Uh, they may not get anybody else. You know, Oregon's coming on strong, so they may get there. But, this is, you know, the Pac-12 is not exactly hogging bids here out west, fellas. So, uh, you know, the WCC will, will have an opportunity to take advantage of that, as will the Mountain West. I mean, the Mountain West really has, like, five teams at the top of the league that are all pretty even with each other competitively. Um, so it seems unlikely the Mountain West would be, like, a five-bid league. But, you know, with that many good teams, like, they could – they could get three or four in as well. And, uh, and so we're going to see, you know, the bids kind of equally spread here, I think, among uh, each of these Western leagues. Still a few weeks to go, but as far as Pac-12 Player of the Year, I want Johnny Juzang just because I think it's a fun name to say. That's a, that's a great reason, PK. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> that's why I root for Debo Samuel. Don't kid yourself. I mean, Johnny Juzang. I mean, that just rolls, doesn't it, Ken? <laughs> what do you have against Christian Coloco? I can make a case that uh, <laughs> that's more fun. Uh, it, it, I'll give you that, but I, I don't know that it's more fun. I, I like Johnny Juzang. I mean, Johnny Juzang, just Johnny. I mean, Johnny is an underutilized name for it. If you're named Johnny as an athlete, boom, you automatically have credibility. You do? Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. It's been that way since Unitas. <laughs> He's bequeathed that to all the other Johnnies. Johnny Bench? Come on. Does Ainge really get the run that he gets if he was Dan or Daniel? No, but Danny. That's true. Definitely a sports thing. To just, you you know. always think of Danny as like a 21-year-old. He's like 62, <laughs> right. 63 years old now. But Danny, man, six, you know, you think of him as 1981, streaking down the court. Whether he's Dan or Daniel, no. You'd think of him as an old man. That's true. I've always wondered why his Twitter handle, though, is Daniel Ainge. That's Ah, you got to be dignified, I guess. Gives them a little more authority, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but how about Pac-12 Player of the Year? I mean, Juzang's having a nice season. Juzang is having a nice year. Juzang is having a nice year. I mean, uh, uh, UCLA and Arizona square off again. You know, round two of uh, this battle between the two clear top teams in the Pac-12 on Thursday night. And so, um, you know, that might have a say in this, but Juzang's probably the favorite. But I would not, I seriously would not uh, dismiss what the Arizona guys are doing. I mean, Coloco has really made huge yeah, But they're Arizona guys. They're just bad people. Well, I understand that. I understand <laughs> that. <laughs> There's the character clause, I guess. Huh? Yeah. Is, that, is, that, uh, is that a thing? Uh, yeah, well, um, I get it. I'm not going to uh, convince you otherwise on that front, but either Coloco or Benedict Matherin, uh, who's their uh, really talented wing. I mean, they both made tremendous strides this year for Arizona and they kind have. of allowed them to come from, you know, pretty much obscurity to start the season. They weren't, uh, you know, weren't given much of a chance to compete with uh, the likes of UCLA heading into the season. And, you know, they, uh, they've been a, a very solid team. I think pretty underrated, flying under the radar a bit, because, you know, obviously losing to UCLA last week, uh, especially, you know, given that nobody on the East Coast really could watch that game, but losing that game, I think, prevented them maybe from getting more more publicity than yeah, they'll probably get two more chances though. I can see those two squaring off in Vegas. You would think so. You would think so. Yeah, I mean, they're clearly the two best teams in the league, so you'd think that would happen. 
Well, Ken, as always, we appreciate it. BYU is a 7, 8, or 9, somewhere in that neighborhood. We'll, we'll put you down for that. Put me down for that, and uh, we'll check back later on, uh, on how that worked out. Sure. All right. Ken Pomeroy, KenPom.com. You can check him out online. He's got BYU at uh, 28 right now in his rankings. Yeah, I, they've got a rebound, man. That was disheartening. Uh, it may not be crushing right now, but if you compound it, it would be. And and I think for them, it's not about just getting the tournament. It's about winning a ball game. You know, it's something that Mark Pope hasn't done. He can get the opportunity that first year. I think they would have gotten it. And then last year, he gets uh, saddled with a team that goes uh, all the way to the final, right? Uh, then they then they get uh, or uh, final four. Final anyway. four. Yeah. Um, I think uh, what's his face Suggs hit that runner in the in the semifinal game to, to beat them from Gonzaga. So, yeah, I mean, obviously they faced a real hot team. They were big time, t- they were big time hot at that time, clearly, uh, because they were doubtful to get in. So if the Cougars can win a game this year after losing their two experienced big guys, I think that's there's no other way that you can classify it but as a successful season. Yeah, but are you really expecting that? Well, if they get a seven seed, why not? Yeah. Man, you just dismissed them. Well, my expectations since those guys went down have been pretty low, and they've consistently overachieved my expectations uh, until this last week. I don't think either of those guys were I know, but you just you need some size. You're well, right. They got you, the, you, the, the AAA young kid. He's got size. He's a youngster. He's raw and all. But as you get uh, 20, 25 games in, you got Chris Burgess, a big man coach. Coach him up there. You're not a rookie anymore. And, uh, what do they call him? Foose uh, Tiore. I mean, yep. he's undersized. I get it, but he's tough. He's, he's grabbed a lot of rebounds. So for him. he's grabbed a lot of boards. I, I, yeah, I have an expectation for them to win a game. Absolutely, that's the standard. That's what that's what you want. Minimally, that's what you want, and that's what they need. So yes, I do. Now a lot of it is matchup, and depending on how they finish off this thing. That remains to be seen. But, yeah, I think they should be thinking. And they're probably going to say, you know, they want more than that. I get that. But deep down, if they win a game in the tournament, Pope's first win in the tournament for BYU for in his coaching career, and it's been a while since they've won a game, and I guess you can even count the play-in game. That sort of counts. Your, your point is getting to the round of 32. Yeah, I think that's a big, big deal for them. It was a disappointment last year. Two years ago, they didn't get the shot because of what happened. And that was a different flavor of disappointment because it did look like they were set up to do it. Yes, they had a lot of things going and, on for them. Right. And could that have been a Sweet 16 team? Where could they have gone? Possibly and, if right. things broke right, yeah. Exactly. Well, they never, they never filled out the bracket that year. We never saw who the matchups would have been, how much they would have had to travel, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. At the same time, they could have got beaten the first round because their last game that they played together, they sort of tripped over themselves yeah. against St. Mary's in, in Vegas. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Coming up on the other side of the break, we're giving away tickets to see the Jazz and the Warriors. We will do that right after the break. Andy Bailey covers the NBA for Bleacher Report. He joins us at 9 o'clock. Joe Ingles' memories, is this it? Scenario out there where this isn't it, but there's multiple scenarios out there where this is it. If this is it, Joe, the best memories. We will get to that next. Stay with us.